This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. And I'm Vanessa Valiente. And with us today is Phoenix Daniels! may have the most epic name of any author we've talked to so far just saying like that is a brilliant name oh so, okay well it's the I, embodiment of me so i better not see it floating around on none of these other goddamn <laughs> <laughs> okay let, let, one pop up. let another yeah. one pop up <laughs> yeah i i i would i would not want to be them that's what i'm going <laughs> to say right now okay let's talk about what we're drinking so today i'm drinking 19 crimes the uprising I like 19 Crimes because it's cheap red wine and it's really good. But what's fun is these labels, if you have a little app, will tell you what crime they committed. Did so. you see the Snoop Dogg one? I have the Snoop Dogg one. Oh, I do. Okay. I, I covet it because it's not as frequent as the other ones. So I have two bottles of it right now. And every time I find it, I buy all the bottles on the shelf because it's amazing. <laughs> so and my two bottles of friends coming into town on Sunday, I promised I'd keep them for her. But that's some good shit. Okay, Vanessa, what are you drinking? Um, I am drinking a vodka soda in my awesome Drinking with Authors podcast cup. So, and, and we send you these, Phoenix. You'll get swag. Oh, yes. I, I'm ready. Okay. So tell the audience what you're drinking because you're, you're double fisting it. So I'm very impressed. <laughs> Because I can just show you the glass because you guys held up your bottle, so I gotta hold up my bottle too. I am drinking Jack. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hold on, let me get the bottle. <sighs> the big bottle of Jack Daniels. <laughs> yeah, I got this bottle yesterday. <laughs> oh, oh welcome, welcome to COVID. <laughs> and I am chasing it with a blue moon, which is amazing because I hate beer. Really? Oh wow! I hate beer, but Blue Moon. I don't know. It's addictive. <laughs> I do love a Blue Moon. I actually feel super fancy because when I get Blue Moon, I'll cut up the orange. I'll get an orange and cut it up, and I'm like, look how fucking fancy I am. I'm putting an orange in my. Today I opted to not pretend to be a lady, and I'm drinking out of the bottle, so I just put a little squeeze of orange juice in there. That's that's still fancier than me. I would I wouldn't have even got any ever thought of the orange juice in the bottle. Now I feel really anyway. I'm not impressed with myself right now. Okay, so Phoenix, can you tell our wonderful listening audience what kind of books you write? Because I know what kind of books you write, but oh my god, so it was so it's so funny that list has gotten like longer over time. When I I first started doing it like interviews and podcasts and fun stuff like that it was like what kind of books do you write romance <laughs> all right interracial romance multicultural romance but now my genre list is <sighs> interracial multicultural romance um crime fiction suspense mystery um political uh and paranormal Oh, and now I've just switched over into contemporary romance with my Emily Storm and uh, Alejandro story. And a nice variety going on right there. Uh, so I, I just add another genre. Well, pretty Many soon you're not going to be able to read these books, honey. 
Well, you know, it's it's funny because um, we, we jokingly call that a genre horror. I'm a genre horror. I, it's fun to write in multi-genres. A few people we interview are like, I only write this one thing. And yeah. I'm like, my mind doesn't work like that. Like I just does not see the way my brain is set up, and 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 that little thing we call creativity is not gonna let me stay in that one box. Like you know, you just you write interracial romance. No, I write novels. You know, I write novels. That's what I do. And if an idea comes to me, so the reason why I, I winded up in the contemporary romance part was because in one of my interracial series, um. Of course, uh, the 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 man is Caucasian, and he has a little sister who have become so, you know, intricate in these series. He has two little sisters, and they happen to be white. So, am I not gonna write their story? They got a story, especially em- Emily. Emily has a story, honey. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm gonna write the story, and so that switched me. That flips me over into contemporary romance, which is amazing. So, uh, when. Your information that was shared with me, how long ago did you start writing? So I'm not sure, really. I think my first book came out in 2013. Okay. But your first book was because of, it was inspired by a tragedy for you, correct? Yeah, yeah. You lost Um, your daughter, correct? Yeah. And see, my daughter, she was a writer. Like, she was a writer, and she was in the process of writing. Um. Um, she was in the process of writing a novel, but, you know, she wrote more in suburban fiction and street fiction. And so, you know, when me and my best friend, who was a publisher, you know, we went to her apartment, tried to find the book because my best friend was going to finish it because she's a writer, writer as well. Um, we couldn't find it. And I was just sick and she was just sick and we just sat around and it was like, eventually I was like, you know what, I'm going to write a book and you're going to publish it. And she was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm not that like, wait, it, Did this <laughs> involve Jack Daniels? I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I didn't do that. So I see now what she meant. Like when, when you're an author and you she's been doing this like most of her life. And then somebody pop up at the bloom like, you know what? I'm going to write a book. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, hell, shit, it's easy, huh? I guess it's easy. <laughs> yeah, you, you go do that. I'll publish it the moment you actually hand me a manuscript <laughs> for the day. So she just kind of like was like, okay, friend, whatever. And then I started <laughs> in her stuff. And she was like, oh, wait, bitch, this is a book. <laughs> oh, my and God. And that was beautiful prey. And that's still like one of my, no, the still the most successful series in my collection. Mm-hmm. You know, it came out of the door. Like, Pow. Here go this bitch. <laughs> Thanks for you to finish it. Um, after you were like, you know what? I'm going to do it. How, how long did it actually take for you to like write it and get it out into the world? Well, okay. So she and I differ on this. I think it took me about seven months to write Beautiful <laughs> Don't judge me. I was new. I'm Seven months is no, there is no I'm judgment. Sitting, I, I'm sitting on a novel that I've been writing for five years. So I think you're doing well, real good. You're doing real, real good. <laughs> the, the funny thing is I was going nonstop with Beautiful Prey and it took me seven months. Since like 2020, 2019 and 2020, my writing has been so slow. I'm lucky to even produce two books a year because, you know, I mean, like, for one minute, for, for a little while, the world was ending. So I was like, well, shit, I ain't got time to write a book. I'm about to die. I ain't got no toilet paper. And <laughs> 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 you gonna write a book, you can't even wash your ass. I'm going to take these books and wipe my ass. I don't know what to do with my life. 
So, you know, I was going through a thing. So I wasn't right. Now I'm a little bit more optimistic about life and the way the end of the world turned out. So I've been able to write again, mostly because I'm broke. <laughs> and then secondly, because I'm getting death threats from my fans because they're like, okay, how about if you don't come out with this damn Creole Nights book, we're going to find you. So I had to eventually put something out. No, and I, I think it's interesting you brought up COVID because, you know, I think we as authors all f- have a theory that, like, what we need is we need peace and quiet and everything to calm down and we're going to stay at home, we're going to do this thing, and then... That's bullshit. Yeah, it's presented and we're like, I can't peace type anything. Peace and quiet fucks with my creativity. Like, so where I'm did you write? Where did you like to write? To write. So a, a, lot, a lot of my rituals are spent in the outside, you know, like, so I, before the coronavirus, I, I had two places that I would write. One is like this little dive bar where I live. Like, this is what I did. I, I sat in a corner around the corner, the last seat at the bar. And that was my seat. Like my name is on that seat. And they're like, that's where she writes. If I come in and somebody sit in that seat, they make them get up. <laughs> so that's my writing corner. And it's a bar. Rowdy. Um, men come in and women sometimes and, and we're all drinking, but I'm able to write so the noise in the back of my head creates a, a you know, a, a chaotic piece for me. So, and then I have a restaurant that I go to where I drink 19 pounds because it's a steakhouse and they have <laughs> this cute little corner by the bar right in front of a huge fireplace and they just sit like a big bottle of uh, red blend in front of me and they're like, do you need anything else? We're going to start the music now. I'm like, yes, bitch, play the music. <laughs> I need noise to function. Do you have a playlist Do when you're writing? Do you listen to music? I do, but okay. I have a playlist, but my playlist is so it's blues and like old school army, like Teddy Pendergrass. And and I mean, like, it's just like, who can't get inspired? That turn on the lights, you know, it's like so I'm just inspired by, you know, listening to that old music. And it makes me think of my mom. And my mother was like, you know, key in my life. And sometimes I can, you know, revert back to places in my childhood where she was like bumping that Teddy Pendergrass. Because back in that day, every woman wanted to lay up with Teddy Pendergrass. And <laughs> I just recently found out that women in this generation wouldn't man a role with him if he was still alive and, you know, walking, you know, back when he was walking. <laughs> Well, that's so, you know he's Teddy Pendergrass. So I, I do a lot of old school R&B. Very cool. Um, so you started in 2013. Your first book ish got published in that time period, right? Yeah. And then, um, how many books have you published? Mm. <laughs> so I want to say 13 or 14. I don't know. Because really, honestly, I just stopped counting. Did you? I That's did. great. That's a great thing to say. Like, ah. I, I stopped counting. Because like, what, what, like, if I can't, my catalog, the number of books that I've written cannot help my catalog. The fact that I'm a USA Today bestseller can, and, you know, a national bestseller, like, that can help my catalog. But the amount of books that you have written is going to go up all the time. So I wouldn't be like, I'm, I've written 70 books after 70 books. I just stopped counting. This is like. 
No, it's true, but it it tells. I mean, to your point, it you can do well, and you can it it. You have to keep generating work. I think we're in a different time period than. I was talking yesterday with somebody who whose first book came out in 1984, and wow. he's a sci-fi writer. He's his name is S.M. Sterling, and he's like, oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. And he it was interesting. I want to see that interview. <laughs> yeah. No, he was he's hysterical. He's so funny. But yeah. he um uh was talking about it, but it was different publishing back then. Like publishing back then, they signed you up for like three book series. There was no self-publishing. That wasn't a thing. If you self-published your book, you were a fucking joke back then. Like that was how it was viewed because well I say that's funny because I first Sam self-published and that book was just all over the place. Who? Because um, I, I think he couldn't get a publishing deal. There were some people that were actually successful. You know, but uh, that was the exception, not the rule versus now right, people exactly. are more successful. And but it was like you had to go through all these barriers to get yeah. if you had a self-published book to get it out there. Not that you couldn't do it, but now you can sell like anybody can publish a book. Not everybody should publish a book, but everybody can that, publish I mean, a book. Thinking back, I think I might be wrong, too. I think you might have had a publisher but then lost it and then started self-publishing. So. Yeah. And it was interesting talking to him because he was, we were talking about the fact that it used to be because of the cadence of how books came out and you can write a book a year, book every couple of years. That's a thing. Now the readers are so much more voracious and so much like they want more, like you probably couldn't keep up with your readers if you oh, no. super tried, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you can't yeah. feed the machine fast mm -hmm. enough. Like and even when people find you, they the catch up to where you are. Seven months to write the book, and they'll finish the shit before I wake up the next day. And it's like, where's the next? Well, goddamn, it took me seven, eight months to write this. So no, I cannot keep up. Yeah, and so that's why I think you have to have a catalog because again, the moment somebody finds you, like, you know, when I was looking through your stuff and I saw the the Creole crime series that you have, and I was like, I am purchasing this now. And I went and bought both the books in that series because I was like, that's my kind of jam. It was really awesome. New Orleans, I I love it. Yeah, and everything about New Orleans is just sexy. So how do you not write a book, you know, based in Noah? Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. But I was like, so I bought it, and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna finish these, and it's gonna be a while for the next one. <laughs> I bet you get quite a to be read list. I do. I have a, and I'm also a publisher, so I have so much to be read list. It's it's in crazy, but I think it's important to read. Do you read a lot? I do. Well, I do. But lately I have not because I have been reading the whole time when I was like, you know, unable to write. But now that I have the the inclination to get it down, I have to keep going. You know, I have to keep going. So normally, yes, I'm a huge reader. And uh, but right now it's just I've been writing my ass off now. But do you do you what you pleasure read? Is that what you write? Or do you write something like completely different than what you just enjoy? Just so you know how I write in a, a whole bunch of genres? Yeah. Uh, I read in all the genres too. Like, okay, I'm a sci-fi freak. I love paranormal. Um, this, uh, the Creole series was my first, you know, jump into paranormal. Um, and I was really bullied into that. That wasn't my plan. And so, um, 
but I read a lot of genres. I like, I actually love um, crime fiction, urban fiction. I like horror, you know. Um, so, um, and I'm like, and, and I'm a huge history freak. So historicals, whereas not, not, it doesn't necessarily have to be true and, and uh, biographical, but, you know, it can be like, this is this made up person that was here in this real time. I love those. You watch Outlander or read Outlander? Oh, of course. <laughs> I, I was like, uh, listen, Jamie Frazier, yes. <laughs> <laughs> she loves a man in a kilt, honey. <laughs> oh my God, I love a man in a kilt. Ooh, yeah. That is definitely one of my fetishes. No kink shaming, Erica. Not with um, me all the time, because, like, unfortunately, uh, maybe good occasions to like great because I'm a police officer. So I mean, yes. the, the they they get they get the bagpipes and they get the kilts, and I'm like, I'm the first one there, like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so meeting you and now uh, i needed to bring this up but i started drinking wine it's funny barbie's pinging me she's like is, is she on and i'm like she's on stop pinging me she's on me. Ah. but if she's calling to remind me to be on time she's goddamn right <laughs> yeah it's like yeah that was uh that was 20 minutes ago barbie beer right? change <laughs> we'll call out no she's amazing she keeps track of things but wow um oh, man she keeps me in line line like oh really really so my girlfriend was like so i think that you're the assistant <laughs> i was like think what you want bitch because we getting it done <laughs> no i i you know vanessa will tell you i'm the epic taskmaster when it comes to things that's literally what I do is even in my day job I'm like we are going to do the following things and you will do it in this time like I'm like we need to get yeah, that yeah she basically so, what are we she's doing not today? nice about it either yeah she basically goes what are we doing today and if I hesitate she's like okay rewind now say that again with the right answer <laughs> I'm, I'm like, like yes, there is no yeah. pausing get shit done Right. I'm, I'm here for it. Because so, me, I am the ultimate pauser. <laughs> and I am for sure. I am willing to admit. I know my life. <laughs> so I am the you, ultimate pauser. Are you still a police officer? Um, yeah, yeah. I have not quite retired yet, but I'm like working on like my semi-retirement, which means barely working. <laughs> so um no, I had surgery. I had back surgery, so I've been off. Um, I got injured at work, injured my back, and had to have a couple of surgeries. And then when I was like, okay, you're good, okay, I'm going back, then I broke my leg. <laughs> so, wow. But you, so it was like, so it's a sign from the universe saying, sit your ass down. Just yeah, sit down. You to just write them novels. Write them novels, yeah. <laughs> sit down, you know what I'm saying? This shit, this, you ain't built for this shit. <laughs> no, I've got 21 years on the job and I've done almost every single, mostly undercover and uh, stuff like that, but I've done almost like every single thing from secretary to undercover. Like, you gotta get your feet wet in every department if you want to keep moving around, you know? So, I was one of the, I like to keep moving around people. Let me grab a big old half gallon jacket. <laughs> So since you write crime, I'm assuming you get tons of inspiration from your job. 
to incorporate that into oh, your absolutely. Like, yeah, there's no way that I, I mean, first off, it, it had it not been for my job, like beautiful prey and the, that. So basically, most of my stories are um, fuck yous to certain situations that I've been on on the job. You know, like, for example, you got Victoria Price, who is now Victoria Storm, but at the time she's Victoria Price and she uh, she works undercover. But then, you know, they have a big event, like uh, big conventions in Chicago. So then they're like, OK, well, we need you to put a uniform on and go work. And she's like, hold on. How, you, how am I going to work undercover? And then, then you put me in a uniform. And then send me out into the world. And then a, a big, huge festival. Like, there's people come from all over for this festival. So there's news, there's cameras, there's everything. And I'm in uniform. And then the next day, you want to throw me undercover. It's just like, okay, you want me dead. <laughs> like, you think, oh, you think criminals don't watch the news. You know? Uh, so, and that's what happened to her. She, she worked undercover. And she was undercover trying to catch a serial killer that was killing prostitutes. And she worked undercover. And um, then the next day, they had her uniform to go work the Taste of Chicago. And the Taste of Chicago is a huge event. Well, it was, you know, before the world ended. The Taste of Chicago, people came from all over the world during the time of the Taste of Chicago. It was a huge tourist thing. And then people, local people from all over went and migrated to that area for the, and the Taste of Chicago was basically a whole, all the restaurants in Chicago and surrounding areas sit up like little booths and you buy tickets and then you get these tickets and you give them tickets to taste the food or different food. And it was, it was a, a, that was probably the biggest thing of the year in Chicago. And uh, she's in uniform. They're doing a roll call. News cameras are watching them do roll calls on the street in uniform. And then um, the, the, the un, unbeknownst to her, the serial killer saw her on the street. Like, oh, I like her. But something happened. She got, I guess, got another John or something. I don't know. And he just said, okay, I'll come back later. But she's on the news. So he sees it. He's like, oh, oh, my little angel is a cop. So now she becomes his focus. So it's like, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a fuck you to certain situations. Creed, on my next one of my, I don't even know if Creed is bigger than Beautiful Prey now, but uh, Creed is a, a, a beat cop. She works a, a uniform and they're, they're telling somebody uh, with indications that they're driving a stolen vehicle and they get into this huge chase and then this foot chase because he fails and they're chasing on the radio. They're calling for help. They get help. And as soon as she Hops out, runs, her partner pulls around, and then as soon as she rolls up, he's shot to death, unarmed with his hands in the air. So then they're like, okay, we need to get our stories together. Her partner, um, uh, Maria Mendez, and Taylor Montgomery, and they're like, well, we need to get these stories together to find out why Foreman shot him. We need to say, you know, he reached for something and blah, blah, blah. And Taylor was like, fuck you. <laughs> I'm not lying. That man had his hands in the air. So, of course, she was ostracized. And the department turned on her. And they were doing shit like throwing dead rats in her car, calling her rats and shit like that. But they did not know that this bitch was fucking the governor of Illinois. <laughs> Sexy ass Victor Creed. So, oh, you gonna come for this little bitch because you think she's just this lowly police officer, but you don't know. She is ratting the governor every night on the low. So, then he comes out, like, he's just bringing that relationship out, like, okay, why don't we just walk in this police station and let these captains and these commanders and let everybody know this is my motherfucking woman. 
White Zoo, powerful, come from a rich family, daddy a retired senator, brother, um, you know, uh, uh, um, he's the, he's the, he's the uh, commander of, um, shit, what was he, Ranger? Yeah, he was Ranger, you know what I'm saying, so the Army Rangers, but he's high up on the Pentagon, he's like a colonel, so like he comes from a, a, a very powerful family. And they thought that they were going to just go for his woman because, you know, she's this lowly police officer who decided that she wasn't about to lie. Because, you know, listen, like they, if you're expected to back your people up, oh, this what happened. OK, that's what happened. OK, that's what we saying. And she right now, fuck that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so then she becomes a target. And then there it is. Oh, is that a situation that happened with you? Oh, Erica can't hear you very well. What do you mean you can't hear me? Can you hear me now? A little bit. I'm far away. What do you mean? You yelled at me for my microphone before, and now you're telling me you can't hear me. <laughs> Whatever. Gonna go back. I think we can hear you. You just do. You sound like far away. I'm gonna keep. Do I still sound far away? So y'all gotta excuse me. I just recently quit smoking cigarettes. Jesus. No worries, girl. <laughs> but I haven't gotten the the system of quitting smoking. While you're drinking, because you know that shit goes together. Right? <laughs> I can't be, I can't be expected to quit everything. <laughs> baby steps, you gotta take things baby steps. <laughs> this is my baby step, like really. So I'm like, oh my god, I quit smoking. They're like, no, you didn't. I saw you smoking on that thing. Oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I've been smoking since I was 13. I'm not gonna tell you how long ago that was, but come on, now give me something. <laughs> Okay, can you hear me now? Oh, you're back. You're back. It's okay. I was able to take the headphones off and show off my... You know what? Somebody told me my hair today looked like it was gunmetal. Oh, you know what? It, earlier, I almost said something to you. I was like, God, it looks what like... What's that mean? Like, gunmetal Meaning like it, it looks like Alex... I don't know. know. Oh, it's tiny. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it, it's also because it's got this silver steel. I don't know. It's... I, just for the record, anybody looking at our YouTube video, Phoenix's hair is totally fucking on point. We're never going to win on that hair battle. But for my hair, this is my natural color. People keep going, where do you get it done? And I'm like, is it your natural color? Yeah, this is my natural color. Oh, this is my natural color, too. No, I thought that the moment I saw it. I was like, the red wig that I put on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, it's break time. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. I'm cold. I'm hot. Oh, I'm going through that. Battle, y'all. We're back. <laughs> oh, shit. It makes no damn sense. Like, it's there's, and in a few minutes, after this last little sip of whiskey, I'm going to be hot again. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, I don't think that's a thing. I think that's the whiskey. Trust me, I'm a, oh, okay. I'm a huge proponent. I, I drink way too much Honey Jack. Do you drink Honey Jack? No, but Sage Young, one of my close friends, who's also another author, like we go, we do like the conventions together and she's like, well, it's always Jack, Jack, Jack with you. What about the Honey Jack? You know, I love that. So we started buying like the half gallons of Honey Jack. It tastes like cough medicine to me. <laughs> It tastes like cough medicine. See, my problem is I can put it on the rocks and it's like drinking candy. And I'm like, let's just go. So here's the problem with me though. I don't, I got a thing like, I don't like sweet, sugary oh. stuff. So I don't eat desserts and I don't, I don't drink sweet alcohol and like, you know, candies and stuff like that. Cause I don't know what, I think it's, I think it's gotta be a disorder. Cause who the fuck don't like sweet? Like who don't like dessert? <laughs> I think I got some kind of disorder. Well, I, I, there's parts of my body that would like me to have that disorder. Just saying. <laughs> there are parts of my body that would like me even without the sweets, I, I eat other shit that, that, that you know. Pasta. <laughs> Best friends. Okay, so let's talk about your where you get inspired from. So you talked a little bit about your police work and the stories that come there. Is that where you get all your inspiration? Hmm. Okay, now that's kind of crazy because that's such a um, like a normal question, but nobody's ever asked me that beyond the police work. So I don't even know how to answer. Um, yeah, well, the love part, the the all the suspense and and all that, and you know the the stories. I use it. I don't use actual stories unless they're mine, but I use you know things. To, to, like as, oh that would be a great story let me revamp this you know things that I've seen uh on the job um but as far as anything that's not police related I use a lot of like romance um uh objectives that that I, I would not I really would not mind having myself so basically I write thinking what what do you want you know what man do you want or what woman do you want? And I go both ways. So what woman do you want? So I can write either character. I can write these women as women that I would like to be in a relationship. And I can write these men as men that I would want to be in a relationship with. So basically, I'm inspired by my own carnal desires. <laughs> Which is fucking awesome. Have you written? I want to fuck. I want to fuck that bitch. <laughs> I want to fuck that dude. You know, I write them. I write them the way I want to fuck them. <laughs> Literally, I think that should be your fucking tagline right there. I write them right on your website under your name. I write them how I want to fuck them. I write them how I want to fuck them. <laughs> Have yeah. you written any female-female romance or erotica novels? I have I have written uh, in Beautiful Ray the first one. There is a threesome where the two women are getting down, but the husband is there, right? And um, and in um, Beautiful Ray, Jack Storm, Jack has two little sisters, Emily and Amy. Well, Emily is the one who's getting her groove on with you know sexy Bolivian Alejandro Medina, the gun runner. And Amy is in a committed relationship with her life partner, Mia. Uh, so 
I'm writing a series of shorts on the storms, the family other than Jack, his family, his, his parents, his sisters. Uh, and I just fit, I just did the one on his sister, Emily. Now I'm doing a short on Amy and Amy is, you know, in love with Mia. So this will be, this will be my first just girl and girl romance. But I do add a lot of, you know, um, uh, alternative lifestyles in um in all of my books because i want you to know i want you to know coming out the door like in beautiful prey 2 i have a gay a male male gay couple in there natasha's friends you know uh malik so coming out the door i want you to know that this is a possibility you might get a book that is gay you know it's gonna be a gay relationship and you're gonna get it and you're gonna fucking like So yeah, so I haven't written it yet, uh, other than the threesome where the two girls were getting down on the plane, on the private plane with a uh, Jack Storm. But uh, as far as like relationships and love, uh, Mia and um, Amy are gonna be my first, and that, that, that's an interracial romance as well because Mia is an, an African American woman and Amy Storm is Caucasian. So I'm gonna get the see what I take. I'll put it on. You didn't on. take a sip of the Jack, though. So I'm a little it's disappointed. Menopause. <laughs> I know, but you should have a sip of the Jack. You're saying if you're going to say that, the Jack, you have a sip of the Jack. So, yeah, that'll be my first one coming up. So, uh, yeah, no, not just girl and girl yet. But I have a series. Um, I have a little... Um, what do you what do we call that a catalog called the cage chronicles and the cage chronicles is um a compilation with a, a a bunch of different best-selling authors like a bunch of them what they do is they write in the same world and in this world it's this it's this, this you know half a sex club in uh chicago's um uh like you know the the chic um area of the west loop the west loop is like where you're the artsy area you know contemporary and all that stuff Something really fancy yuppie-ish you know used to be like a big industrial spot but now they just done yuppie it out honey it's, it's just like where the money goes and um so there's there's this club there called the cage and okay. the cage is an erotic club and um authors from all over have written stories like short stories about Whatever character they came up with, their experience at the cage. Now the cage never changes; it's still the same. You know what I'm saying? Like the 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 rooms, they look exactly the same. Each author knows they write the rooms exactly the same. Uh, you know, but they have their own stories. The only constant character is Venus, the owner, big titty redhead. <laughs> Wonder where that was inspired from. I know who came up with that. <laughs> because I've actually participated in an anthology similar to that where it's someone comes up with a concept and then a bunch of authors come in and like we have a set of notes that everyone has a copy of of the world and you write a story within that world and you can kind of like read other people's stories to kind of yeah. to kind of like put seeds some of your nuggets you know, of your I'm stories. Be the cage chronicle from you now. <laughs> Is that what you guys
guys do as well? Do you have like a Google like sheet or yeah, something? Yeah, we, we have like a, 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 a like a little Facebook group, and we like post certain things about the club. Oh, by the way, the club has this, and by the way, and then the then a lot of people, a lot of the authors that come in have already read a lot of the stories. You know, and um, so they're like, I want to, I'm going to write a Cage Chronicle. And here's the thing. A lot of these authors, like, I'm not one of those people who says, you can't write about my world. I created this world. Mm-hmm. No, a lot of these authors have taken their stories and written, like, best-selling novels from their meets and what happened to them at the cage. So, you know, that kind of makes me proud. Um, so, yeah, we, we do have like forums where they can go in here and like get more information out of the uh, the group and see what the club is really like. I normally suggest reading other people's stories, you know, mm-hmm. but there there's a list of what should be in there and, you know, what it looks like. Oh, it's, it's five floors. And it, it actually originally started as four floors, but I think one of my authors changed it. They added a secret floor. But this authors of USA Today bestsellers out there, fuck it, go and have your floor. <laughs> so, um, is is the owner of the club based on you, my friend? I own the club called The Cage in Chicago. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so I did own an alternative club in Chicago called The Cage. And um, it was a swingers club. Because I hate normal people. <laughs> I don't get along well with normal people. Normal people, like when you come into, like, say, let's say we're going to a normal club, right? And then you got some, like, just say, um, you you mentioned Halle Berry. You know how pretty she is. And just say Halle Berry walks into the club. In a normal club, bitches give her the side out, like, don't sit at my table. <laughs> don't sit your pretty ass at my table. But in that case, it was like, hey, bitch, with your fine ass. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Everybody, everybody likes everybody. It was like no drama, no jealousy, and like you know, people just. And then you know, you know how you get like like super drunk, and you be like, I just want to. We gonna go get down. Well, you ain't have to go nowhere. You could get down here. (laughs) (laughs) There's a club in Ebor here because we're in Tampa. There's a club in Ebor called the Honey Pot. Yes, it's here. I fucking love these romance readers and all these people who love these books. At least take one trip to a lifestyle club. You'll never go to a regular club again. I mean, not now. (laughs) Well, now it's a different story. I have to say, I actually went to Hito. Have you ever been to Hito? I used to throw, the case used to throw big events at Hito. So I went to heat. We're going to have a whole conversation. May. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, I have friends that are, you know, go to Hito and there's some different things. And I finally, I was like, yes, let's go. Let's do this. Let's go. And what was interesting for me, I grew up in Hollywood, California. I grew up around the gay pride parades. Like to me, this was normal. Like I didn't have any. Love for you. Because yeah. it's, it's not normal in Chicago. Yeah. And there's people shutting down our lifestyle clubs and our lifestyle things. And they, they're still calling it deviant behavior. And I still, ha- there's still people walking around saying, mm, dumb people and referring to themselves as normal, which that will never be a word referring to me that will ever come out of my mouth. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, so good for you growing up yeah. someplace where 
you know, I was lucky, but not lucky at the same time, because when it, when I got into a position later in life where I saw racism and I saw discrimination, because I didn't see that as a child, because I grew up like not even like this wasn't we weren't ready. You weren't ready. Yeah. And it freaked me the, out that the, anybody would have these things. And I, I, I can say emotionally, I wasn't prepared to handle this onslaught. And I was like, you know, uber defense mode. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? But what was interesting when I went to Hito for me was I actually realized I had to be comfortable, more comfortable. And I'm one of the most comfortable with me. Like I did the Rocky Horror Picture Show as a cast member at 16. Like I have been comfortable with my body for a long time. Yeah, but I it's was, a trip the first time you take that swimsuit off and go to the, see, I didn't go. I like, I wouldn't go over there. I stayed on the pool set the whole time. My first visit there, I was just like, not ready. I wanted the experience of being a hito. But I didn't want to be new because I was ashamed. Like I had three kids, nothing set up anymore. And, and I was just like, I'm not taking my clothes off. And then like, I had met some incredible people there and they were like, girl, you ain't been to the news act. Cause if you had, you understand that people were there. They don't even see you no more. <laughs> they don't see you like that, which, which is amazing. Yeah. Like, so I remember walking. So there was a path that led to the, you know, like there's a line. And when, if you go to Hito, there's a place where they go, you have to take your clothes off. Like you cannot walk past this point with any clothes on at all. No, no, no strong. Like you're fucking, you need to be naked. You need to walk naked past this point. I see the look on Vanessa's face. You have to watch the YouTube to see this, but. Um, oh my God. It, it is the most freeing thing ever. Like, I could not even imagine. I, I can't even go to a normal resort now. Even when I go to Miami, which I'll be leaving tomorrow to go back to Miami, I go straight to the new beach. I cannot even imagine, like, going to, like, a normal resort anymore. Like, I was intimidated by that. You can't come over here without your clothes. But I understood it. Everybody over here is vulnerable. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hide myself when everybody else has just let themselves be vulnerable. So, you know, if you're going to come over here, you got to be vulnerable, too. But once you get there, you realize there's no vulnerability. Like, there's, like, everybody's just chilling. Nobody, they're so accustomed to the, the, the nakedness that it's, like, nothing. They don't even see it. Like, I had to be forced over there because my friend, Shannon, stole my clothes and was, like, they're going to be on the hot tub on the news side. If you want them, come get them. So I have to walk that path all the way naked to go get my clothes, which she took the little bra thing and had my key in it. So I couldn't go back to my room and change and then go. So I was just like, okay, I see she's just trying to like get me, you know, in here. And it was the best thing that anybody could have ever done for me. You know, it was just like, okay, you know what? This is what I look like. It taught me so much about loving who I am because I don't care who like what you think of people and what you think they look like inside everybody has insecurity you know so it's just like I, I would have never done it I no and, and I that was my it. point like I'm I'm a very confident person I I don't care what people think of me I am who I am if you're gonna right. love me for who I am you're gonna love me you know I'm one of the most caring people you can meet and I will help you and I will boost you up but I realized it was funny as I'm making this walk and I had a, 
you know, something tied around that covered my torso, like a little, I don't know what they're called, the fucking little blankets. It's wrong, I don't know. And I'm walking and I know, I see the line and I'm getting closer to the line. You know, the line where they're like, you fucking need to be naked, right? And I'm walking and all of these things that I didn't even think I had were playing out in my mind as I'm walking. And I realized I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And it may have been literally, and I've had two children. I've I've gone through the same thing you did. I wasn't walking in going, look at this ravaging model-like body. This is bad bitch walking up here. (laughs) Exactly. But I was like, okay, I'm here. I'm walking slowly and I'm realizing like, wow, I have all this shit that I always talk to people about not having and I'm experiencing this shit as I'm walking and it's almost like these weights are falling off of me of this consideration and I walked, I remember putting my foot over the line and having to untie it. Have that, you don't even know you have. Yeah. And I had to untie the thing and I, cause you can't walk past that line with the thing. And one foot was over the line and one foot was not. And I'm untying the thing and I was almost shaking. And I'm like, yeah. what the fuck is going on? Like, you don't care. And the moment I walked out and I'm like hearing the noise of the people and it's a giant pool and a hot tub and a bar and and you're like, bitch, I can't think straight. <laughs> I literally, I was like, okay, go put your thing up, put your shoes up, get your, cause you bring a cup and they'll fill it with any alcohol you want. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like playing all these things. Like I'll just get super drunk. I won't care. And I'm like, I have to get in the pool naked, not drunk and get to the bar to get drunk. Like, but right. the moment I walked up and I just stood there for a moment and took in the entire thing and I just watched the people. And I think as authors, we do a lot of people watching. Like that's a thing we do, right? Yeah. And I watched the people and I was like, all of these people do not fucking give a shit what I look like. Hey, let me look. They, they look you right in your eyes and be like, hey, what you do? How you feel? Did you have a good time? What'd you eat for dinner? They look you right in your eyes. They don't even look at you like that. And it's not creepy. And it's the weirdest thing because you're expecting it to be creepy or kind of like when you go to a club and you get, I call it denim penis rubbing against you. And you're like, dude, dude, get your dick off me. Thank you. You know, (laughs) can I tell you a story though? Yes, please. So I thought Hito prepared me for like, you know, being, you know, a nudist and being comfortable and blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. I, I, so I did a trip to the south of France. It's a place called Captage. And it's in the south of France. And it's basically the naked city. Everything is naked. It's like grocery store, the shopping centers, the I don't know, the insurance places, the car rental, like the whole city is basically naked. And then in this city, they get like these different resorts. Now, some of these resorts are adult resorts like Hedo, you know, but then there's this side with like houses and um, hotels that have families in them, right? But the beach is the beach. So we would like go to the store and the stores are the stores. They They were universal so we would go to like the stores and people be it's just a new it's just a nudist that's i guess that's what a true nudist colony is it's so european and me and i'm so american 
And I would go with walking through the little malls and stuff, and I would see like naked people in the malls. Like, okay, I can understand naked on the beach, and I can understand naked, but naked in the grocery store, I'm not walking past produce naked. And that's how I felt walking in. And then I saw the children. <laughs> it was like, 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 they just walk around naked in the mall, like in the little mall. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm naked, you know, because I'm always naked. But I didn't know. I knew it was like the naked city, you know. But I didn't know that's American. That's that's very American too, you know. Like, um, the, like we don't realize that in Europe, nudity is a lifestyle for people. Like they believe in the Adam and Eve, the nudity, blah, 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 before they had to wear the fig leaf and all that bullshit. Like they, like, so it was like, it wasn't, it was nothing for them. Like you got little 13, 12 year old boys running around, you know, kicking a can and you walk past them and they don't even look up at you in America. <laughs> 13 year old boy, you walk past them naked with titties. They like all of you ask blue to you. So it was a culture shock for me. Like you know, you go to the you go to the beach and you gotta walk past the families to get to like the 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 lifestyle clubs and the you know adult clubs and stuff like that. Not clubs, beach clubs. You know what I mean? You know where people are outside drinking and playing music. But you gotta walk through these families and then like this, there's whole families like kids and, and babies and then grandmas and like everybody. It's like this is their life. I think that we've been taught. Well, okay, see, now that's my history shit coming in. The Puritans and everything who, like, just basically migrated to America. I, I think that is what made America so uptight with... Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. It's completely 1,000% the Puritans. And yeah. our view on sex, our view on things like that. Like, I tell people as parents all the time. So I have my son is 24, my daughter is 22. But when they started talking about um, my ex-husband, we got divorced, but he got remarried and he got pregnant. Um, his wife got pregnant. Seven-year-old daughter came to me and she's like, I'm going to have a baby in my belly. And I'm like, okay, we're sitting down. We're fucking talking about this. So we understand where a baby. And I didn't explain the pleasure part. I just explained sex to them and how it works and where the baby comes from and all of that stuff. And I was very open. And when my kids got to a certain age, we practiced putting condoms on a fucking dildo. Because I'm like, you're going to understand yeah. how yeah. that shit works. Because nobody explains that in fucking high school. They always show movies where they have a banana and whatever. No, you got to understand how to fucking put it on, how to leave the little part in it. And how that condom move on that bitch. And it tears. Yeah. And it dries out. And all that. Like, we need to educate our children and they don't and it was funny because I remember my kids came to me my daughter most especially came to me and she's like hey I you know my, I have friends I want you to show them the thing and I'm like I can't but you can so here's the stuff because if their parents come back to me I don't want to fucking hear how I was showing them how to put our condoms you taught my kids to well even though somebody should teach their kid but it is not our we don't have the right to do it but the thing is we're so squeamish about sexuality that we, we we put each other in more danger than any than than any other nation like come on we got to start talking about these things and and i think that's so true and i think it's so true about i love seeing the conversation and the more prolific talking about 
and it's not alternative lifestyles, lifestyles that are not heterosexual. Because I don't like saying alternative because that makes it seem like they're different. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I agree. They're not. Like I, think, I say it a lot, but I do agree with you. But I think I want people to understand me when I'm talking. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I agree. I don't want to say like I want to say gay people and straight people and blah blah blah. And it's lifestyles. It's just it is what it is. People find it so strange that I'm so open about like who I am and uh, who I love. And you know, I was just engaged to a woman, and they were like, "Oh, okay, so she goes both ways." Well, she goes with whoever she loves. <laughs> you know, so I just wanted to be. That's why I said I, I detest the word, like the phrase normal people. I, I think that is like the most damaging phrase ever. No, I agree. I don't like normal. <laughs> yeah, well, I hate labels because I feel like if you pay a label or a moniker on yourself, whether you're whatever lifestyle you choose, like I was talking to somebody the other day and I was talking about the fact that he is very attracted to women and he is very attracted to men. And I said, have you ever thought about having a polyamorous relationship where you have both at the same time? And he looked at me and I'm like, I literally said to him, I'm like, you don't get to fucking look at me like that. That's the honest way. Be honest about who you are and what you want. Exactly. Exactly. Be honest about who you are and what you want. I agree. So, okay. I have a question for you. Um, when you started writing, you talked about writing about, I, I hate to say multiracial. That's another label that I have. Anyway, I don't say, I don't say multiracial. I say multicultural because we do have different cultures. I say multicultural. It's a blend of cultures. And I I definitely can, I, I can understand, you know, the multicultural aspect of being in a relationship because you are combining two cultures, you know, or Three or whatever you're doing. <laughs> 40, depending on if you do 23 and me, you might find out, you know. <laughs> right. Um, I have a, did you, why did you decide to go that route? Why did you start there? Why did I start with multicultural romance? Well, <laughs> well, I've been in a few and, um, and, I think they were underwritten. I think it was, I, I, I thought when I, when I started writing, I was just like, so they wrote them and a lot of people were writing them as like fetishes and, you know, stuff like that. And then I was, I was just like, what kind of shit is that? Like I wanted to give multicultural relationships the justice that it deserves. And then what I mean by that is the realness. Like what it's really like to combine, you know, um, get in a relationship with somebody who comes from a totally different place than you. And, um, you know, and that, that your love and, and your relationship is, is strong, but the forces, you know, the outside forces or the forces that, that, that says that you should not be together, um, that your shit just defies that. I think because I'm just a defiant motherfucker. <laughs> and I- by the way, we just met, but I already fucking love you. Just, you know, that's already in place. I, I know Vanessa feels the same way. I see the look on her face. We already fucking love you. But I have a question. How much of, in, you talk about the barriers, how much racism or real life situations you put in your books? 
Oh, it, it gets real. Okay. <laughs> it gets real. Um, even with the in the in the the second book of Beautiful Prey, you know, we get this beautiful undercover officer, Natasha, who gets, you know, sexually harassed on the job, but then like she's just basically shitted on. And it's not just racism, it's sexism too. A lot of sexism, a lot of misogyny. You know, I'm I'm pointing out all the shit. I'm calling it all out. Um uh you know um like that a career that she took like she put so much in to build this career and she was good at what she did and you know it was just like you 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 put this woman in this category and 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 she's she's bound by racial and sexual ties um boundaries and then in Cree with when when the 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 officer is just like uh-uh we ain't going you know, I'm not, I'm like, look, we need to address the fact that it is so easy for you to kill an unarmed black person and get away with it. And this officer is not going with, she's going against the grain. She's saying, no, you know what? I know we protect each other. That's what we do. And we do, we protect each other. Sometimes we make mistakes and we protect each other, but mistakes and 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 that that's different. I'm not protecting that shit. I'm not condoning this shit because you had no reason to shoot this man. Like what? What are you? If you're afraid of black people, then you shouldn't be on this job. <laughs> Period. Point one. You should be an accountant or a teacher. You know, in 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 Southern Illinois, you know, you should not be working in the the crazy city streets of Chicago where you are bound to encounter. Black people. And so, like, she chose, her and her Mexican partner chose to fight that. And they were shitted on. Totally shitted on. So a lot of it, it's, a lot of it is political and racial rebellion. A lot of my work is political and racial rebellion. So what I do is, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the secret to what I do. <laughs> I had political and racial unrest and revolution in romance and fucking. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. And I wanted to ask you because, you know, we this year has been, not this year, but 2020 has been kind of, oh. <laughs> not even kind of, it is, oh my God. And, yeah. you know. Oh. It, but that's the only thing to say. It's, oh my God. <laughs> So much, you know, and I am not saying we were here with everything, literally everything. And I look at somebody from your background and talking about because you know you had these situations occur that hit the media. I'm not even talking about the ones that didn't hit the media. I'm talking about the ones that did hit the media, right? Because let's not pretend like there are. This doesn't happen all the time. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. Anybody out there who doesn't think that like these were isolated incidents, you're fucking stupid. Stop listening to my podcast. Right? Yes. But um, you're a police officer. So there was a definite divide with you police. Do this, honey. You do this. You ask the right question. <laughs> How was that for I mean, this is a very charged question, I feel, but you're a black police officer. How did that affect you? Because there seemed to be a divide 
media wise as if, you know, people said, you know, the blue and it was like a bad thing. And I'm like, what? what? So listen, let me explain something to you. I can take that blue shit off. I can't take this black off. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Can I can I give you an example? Tell you a please, story. Please, please, yeah. So I live in a place in Chicago where they call the area that I live in is called Southside Irish. Southside Irish. So I'm like probably one of like maybe two or three black people that live in like a ten mile radius, right? Because it's like cops and firemen and shit like that, right? And um, this area is very known for its um, whiteness. <laughs> they are like they are not big fans of black people. Like people who would buy houses out here, they would like burn crosses in front of the house and blah blah blah. I think that there were certain type of black people that they were willing to accept. I'm a cop, so it's like okay, she ain't let her in, let her in, you know. Now people ask me, why would you? move into a place like that well because the alternative is my my kids getting shot sitting in the living room watching tv so that that now that that deserves to be talked about we'll get into that later but the the truth of the matter is where i am um they had a protest because this is the area that's known to house the most police officers and uh and please don't get me wrong I live in a, an awesome neighborhood. I live in a street block and my neighbors, they do shit. They take care of me. They, they um, like if, if I'm out of town, they, they, they plow the snow or my son got pulled over by the police and they were terrified because they were like, oh, that's a black boy. They came outside. All the white folks came outside like, are you okay? <laughs> like, so they understand what's happening. I live on an amazing block. I got an amazing set of neighbors. Um, I, I could remember a time some black dude with locks robbed the post office and one of my neighbors called. I was like, where's Jamal? Get him in the house right now because they're saying some black man robbed and we don't want him to get killed. Like they understand what we live in here. Yeah, so, and I'm like, girl, he and I, <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, thank God. You know, but then when he got pulled over by the police, the neighbors came out. Angelo, you know, all the neighbors, they're like, I just want to make sure that you don't shoot this black man. You know, so it's not like, I, thought, I live on a great block. But the majority of this neighborhood is very um, out. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't even got to say it. You know what I mean. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, um, they had a protest when they, they shot an, an, a man. Um, they shot a black man who was coming from a funeral who got into an altercation with a, a off-duty fireman but he had a weapon and they, so they think just because you're black, you got to agree with everything. And like, no, that's not true. Because if you up a weapon on me, I'm going to shoot your ass too. I don't know who you are. But they had a protest about that. And so it was like they had signs everywhere. Um, Mount Greenwood is the neighbor, neighborhood that I live in. And it's very, you know, prominently white, very proud Irish people. You know, and the Irish are brawlers, baby. They up, they they up beat your ass. They fight, they fight. <laughs> so prominent Irish people. I mean, like not prom- prominent, but you know, working class Irish, but uh, good good people. You know, um, other than like you know the, the the big you know clashes of them that are like you know super racist, but um, <laughs> they had a protest 
outside of this area and well, right at the line of this area. And it was Black Lives Matter protest. And then they had a blue, because the, the, the cop is the one that shot the boy who got into it with fire. Then they had a Blue Lives Matter protest on one corner. And then on the other corner, it was uh, Mount Greenwood Matter protest, right? So I live in Mount Greenwood. <laughs> I'm a cop, so Blue Lives definitely matter to me. And Black Lives, of course, matter to me because I'm Black. Did you so stand in the middle of the entire thing and just like, I'm here. I'm just I'm gonna be I right here. trying to be there. I was just trying to go to Walgreens. And they're like, what has you on? I'm like, well, three. I care about Brown Greenwood. <laughs> I care about Black Lives Matter. I care about Blue Lives Matter because I'm a cop. But here is the thing. I told you earlier, I can take that blue shit off. I can move out of Mount Greenwood. I'm a dad black lady. I'm a dad a black lady. It's always one side for me. Period. Point blank. So the struggle is real, and 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 the the job is real. And I love the people I work with. And I I signed up, and I was willing to die for the people that I work with. But what I'm not going to do is compromise who I am. This shit didn't go down like this. And, and it, it's against another black person. And I'm a black person. It's against, against another person. And it didn't go down the way it was said. I'm always going to call that shit out. All the time. All the time. So I don't fit in shit. <laughs> you know what, though? You, you know what you do fit in, which I think is amazing? is your integrity is fucking awesome. And not everybody can say their integrity is truly in place because it's so easy to compromise your integrity for somebody else's belief or where you think you should conform to. And your integrity is squarely in place and that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I just just want people to know how hard it is because I see and I see how hard it is for uh, black people who do this job because we we are here to protect and we are here to serve. But black people hate us. I've had black people call me overseers, you know. And then and then and then you know, um, white people we, we you know they ain't that crazy about us either. And then you know it's just like where do you fit in? Like where do you fit? And then you know what? When I just decided that fuck fitting in. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck what you think. What you think I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You know what I'm saying? And then I'm going to do what makes me able to sleep at night. So it is very difficult to be black and, you know, you know, in, in certain situations, for sure. And I have, um, I have a black coworker and he works on my, I work in HR and he works on my team and he said something to me that was so incredibly like because this was during when no I don't want to say during when that's the wrong term when Black Lives Matter began and there was a need for companies and stuff to respond to that and not pretend like it wasn't happening or whatever right and he came to me and he said something that I thought was like it blew my mind because 
obviously I'm a, I'm a white woman. I'm not going to pretend I'm black Irish, but I'm a white woman. Like that's the fact. Like, hello, look at me on screen. I'm a fucking white woman. Look at any picture of me. I'm a white woman. So I'm not going to even pretend like that's not the case. But he said something which is well, not pretend like you're not important. No, it's not like that. It's that I'm not talking from. And it is not just the black people that push this movement along. A lot of times, the the powers that be don't give a fuck what black people are doing. It's when y'all white folks start jumping in that shit that it actually starts moving along. So please don't say it like it's not important. You know, I don't say it from that. I say it because he said this thing to me is like he's married to a white woman, and he told me when he was talking to her that like. When he drives to work, if he gets pulled over by a police officer and he was telling me like you have to re he has to react differently than a white woman would react in the car to what's occurring with the police officer for his safety. Right. He didn't didn't have to tell you that though, did did he? You knew that already. (laughs) Well, I did, but when he was telling me the story and talking about explaining this to his wife who's white, right, about this, I sat there and I I literally was, for a moment, I was stunned and I went, you know what, one of the most important things we can do from any standpoint is have empathy and understand the position of another person, right? We can't be that person, but we can understand where the person is coming from and communicate from that level. And I see from your experience that the different almost like facets that pull itself apart from where you are. And it's fucking amazing that you are the type of person that you are. I think it's unbelievable. And I hope you realize how unbelievable that is. I'm talking you. (laughs) Because it's, you know, it's, it's super easy if you, aren't willing to walk in somebody's shoes and look at what's happening and acknowledge that. Well, here's the thing. I don't need you to walk in my shoes and I don't need you to understand what's happening from my standpoint or what's happening to me uh, from my point of view. What I need people to do is open your fucking eyes. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to see it from my point of view. See it from your fucking point of view. You're a human being. You'll see motherfuckers getting taken down. So here's the thing. Don't try to understand what it's like to be me. Just open your eyes and see what the fuck is happening to me. You know what I'm saying? And you do that. You do that. When you speak out and you say, you know what? If you got a problem with that, don't listen to this podcast. You do that. And I think I need more people to just be like, look, I ain't blind. I can see. You know, everybody is not going to understand. I have friends that don't have a fucking clue. And I don't expect you to have a clue about what it's like to live in my shoes or walk with me. But what I do expect you to do is open your fucking eyes and open your ears and see what's happening. You know what I'm saying? And take that into account. I, I do expect that. And you do that. Well, thank you. By the way, I feel your shoes would be fabulous, though. So I do want to walk in your fucking shoes because they would be fucking amazing. Girl, but they big. <laughs> I wear a size 11. So I think they that big. <laughs> so you, you, you can walk in my daughter's shoes and she got a fabulous collection, too. <laughs> walk in those fucking shoes because I love fucking shoes. Okay. 
We have to wrap up this podcast. This no, we we're going into literary briefs. We have more, but I I fucking love talking to you. It's been amazing. I know I've kept you silent, Vanessa. Do you want to say? No, I I I feel like foolish for not jumping in, but you guys were having like some deep, awesome conversation. I felt like a I did not want to interrupt. So, but I, you know, I think I, I enjoy just listening from all different angles about all that. It's just, it's been a tough year and just hearing you guys talk about it. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I thank you so much for being on the podcast because you gave us a lot of important things to think about, you know? Yeah. So I appreciate it. I think that's like probably one of the biggest misconceptions that you have like with your white people and they're just like, I just want to know what it's like. But no, I don't want, you don't have to know what it's like. You don't have to know what it's like. You you don't want to know what it's like. (laughs) What you want to do is pay attention. And when you see something, say something. Because a lot of people that have been in my life, their silence has let me know who they are. Your silence, you can't be like, hey, girl, I love you. We're going to do, we're going to drink, we're going to travel. I love you. You're my friend, but I don't hear your voice. <laughs> no, and I, I, I think you said something really important in that is that it matters. Everybody has a voice and it matters whether or not you're willing to put your integrity before yeah. any other considerations and go, this is not okay with me. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whose voice that is. You have to go, this is not okay with me. And I'm going to do what I can to fucking make a difference. Yeah. And it might be a small fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> you have been from, okay. Yeah. Tell, just as we wrap up this podcast, what advice do you have for um, authors that, you know, I, I want to specifically ask this question. Own voice is a huge thing. I love that you write in own voice. Regardless of what you write, you're writing in own voice because it's your voice that is writing. You know what I mean? From your perspective, which is fucking awesome because it's, as authors, nothing's wrong with it if you write from a different perspective. But the fact when you write from your own voice, it's huge. So I write write in third person, but... Like, so I've been accused of writing in third person and it sounds like first person (laughs) because even in third person, I'm going to tell you how that bitch feels. She's like, oh, bitch, is this bitch really? You know, it's like, I'm going to write in that I want you to understand how she's feeling about what's happening. Now, as far as like advice for authors, I just want authors to be like, look, don't force yourself to write some shit because it's popular. Write how you feeling. You know, and then that's one. Write how you're feeling. Don't write it because oh, this genre is doing well, right? Fuck the genre. Write your 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 voice. Use your artistry. Use you know use your feeling. You know, and then uh, secondly, I learned this from my mentor. Every chapter should take a person to a place where they gotta read the next one. So you can't be like. Oh, in the end, it gets good. No, fuck that. Every chapter should make someone want to read the next chapter. It should not be filler is what you mean. Don't just exactly. make a word. Don't try to fit a word count. Put it just in. Just write that shit. Put a, do a story, not a word count. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Phoenix, how do your fans find you? Okay, so you can find me uh, on Instagram at Miss Phoenix. I'm Miss Phoenix D everywhere. Miss Phoenix D on Instagram, Miss Phoenix D on Twitter. Um, my website is down because I've been sitting on my ass during the pandemic and I have not done shit. To, but I'm upgrading it because now I'm creating a course, a six-week course um, on writing a novel from birth to publication. And I'm having some of the best fucking authors teach this six-week course. There's six different USA Today and best-selling authors are going to teach different courses in this. Because I get so many people saying, I want to write a novel. And I think they should because I believe a lot of people have a story to tell. But I can't sit them all down and <laughs> tell them how to do this. So I'm creating The amount a of people that say I want to write a fucking novel to the amount of people that actually write a fucking novel... Huge difference. Yeah, but after you get done course and you don't write it, then that's on you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh so, my God, yes. Yes. And then it, there are great aspects in there for people who are already established authors. Like because each segment it it, it, it jumps into something just that's so very important. You know, uh there is a segment on just formatting and covers and blah blah blah. And then there's a segment on marketing, which I think all of us, you know, like we all need to figure out how to market the shit that we do the best. So like, um, so I'm really excited about that project. I got a cage chronicle coming up. I got some amazing authors that have, um, that their submissions are coming out and like, I don't know, I'm thinking in the next four to six weeks. And then I have my uh, series, Beautiful Prey, that I know I've been promising like forever, but I am like so far in on it. I think I'm gonna be able to close it out in, I'm thinking about two weeks. And okay, so um, just for the record, what Phoenix is promising to all of her fans who are listening to this fucking podcast is in March, you will have Beautiful Prey. That's what okay, you're saying. Is that, is that what I was saying? That's what you were saying. No, I don't think that's what I was saying. In two weeks. I said in two weeks. Two weeks. I, 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 we're gonna call we're gonna call you in two weeks. And if it doesn't happen, we're we're coming. I said, I said, y'all are writers, y'all know just because I finished it, don't mean it's gonna be I said I'm gonna be finished in March. <laughs> this is gonna be published then. You mean a first draft in two weeks. Yeah, it's got to go through editing and all okay, that. Okay, I have sure no not. control over that. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, it was set on the podcast, and I'm you not going to lie. You tried it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get it out, though. I, I'm for real going to have it out. Okay, now, I when is your website going to be back up so people can sign up for your newsletter? I'm thinking, so I've been working, I was working on it today before I got on, and um, so the thing is, so I have one of those, like, cute little makeshift uh, websites, I'm done with that, I feel like I'm, I'm past that level, so I, I wanted to do something that's, like, you know, a little bit more professional, but what I have to do, because I can't get the professional people to work as fast as I want is to put that website back up just so people can go on there and keep up until I can get somebody to actually design the shit the way I want it to be designed. So I have to go back to that 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 format. Um so I'm thinking by next week I should have that up. Okay. Oh I'm giving away a free um 
story. We're going to, so I did a, a Christmas compilation. Is that right? Copulation. 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 I like copulation better. That's not the right word, but we're going to go with that. That's not like a blowjob, don't it? I hope it's a fucking blowjob one way or the other. That's what I'm hoping. Copulate means, yeah. Copulate means a blowjob. Yeah. Well, it means oral sex. So let's do this. Okay. So you've got oral sex. My man, right? Compilation. <laughs> okay, it was much funner when he said it the other way, but go ahead. <laughs> so, shit, I'm sorry. My man got stuck on blow job. I don't even know what I was saying. <laughs> you were mentioning the Christmas oh, jobs oh, you put together. Christmas story for uh, an anthology, and I'm about to pull that Christmas story down, and I'm going to give that away for free after I pull it down, because I want you to get a little glimpse into my new um, uh, contemporary romance. So, in order for you to get a little glimpse, I just want to give it to you. You know, I just want you to see a little piece of what I'm doing. So, I'm about to drop a free short story, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to add to it, because it's a really short story. I think it's about 7,000. I think I might, you know, make okay, a, that's a, not a really short story. Girl. It's like a no. novella. That's like a, like a little novella. That is not a novella. A novella is 10,000. Okay, well, it, it, it's pretty close. It's, it's barely away from a novella. Short fucking story is like 2,500 words. Yeah, I thought you were like, oh, it's like a, a flash fiction. It's like a chapter. Like, no, girl, that that's that's legit right there. <laughs> I'm going a, I'm, I'm to a, I'm, I'm a drop that. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, you know, and give it to my readers, you know, because I, I know they've missed the storms and I've been kind of all bullshit, you know. So, like, um, I just want to give that to them for their patience, you know. Well, that's very nice of you. And hopefully when you subscribe to your um, newsletter, when your website goes back up in a week, because that's going to be back up when we're, we're, we're issuing this podcast, people will get the story, correct? Uh, absolutely, for sure. Also... Okay. You, darlings, I'm going to need to have contact information because the next time you take your ass to Hedo, I'm going to need to know. <laughs> done. Fucking done. Yes. <laughs> no. So we need to tell that bitch up, honey. <laughs> Absolutely. We need to put these big bones all over that hoe. <laughs> done. Done. You have been fucking amazing. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us. For having me. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay. Both. I mean, seriously. Gosh, I mean, I've said much on this podcast, but I, you guys have me laughing the whole time. That's because I talk so goddamn much, you probably couldn't get a word in. Oh no, I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh my god, fucking perfect. Okay. So, our guests have been Phoenix Daniels. I've been Erica Lance. I am Vanessa Valiente. We'll see you next time. Bye.